This week's episode is sponsored by Smart Home. Looking to simplify your life? Whether it's planning your week or just remembering where your appointments are, Smart Home can help with that. They provide everything from personal assistants like Google Home or Alexa to automated lighting systems and security cameras like Ring for your home. Their products are affordable, easy to program devices that communicate over your home's existing wiring and over radio frequency signals. That means that your appointments are always remembered and that your house is always safe. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, you can use the discount code NERD10, that's N-E-R-D-1-0, at checkout for 10% off on their website, smarthome.com. You can follow them at Smart Home on Instagram and at Smart Home Inc. on Twitter. Hey guys, it's Jace Lipson from Wretched Gentleman. Uh, you're about to listen to my episode on Popper Labs. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Popner Lounge, the podcast for the creative soul. I'm your host, Steph Pham. To make sure you get the latest and greatest episodes of Popner Lounge, follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like Spotify? We're there. Prefer Apple Podcasts? We're there too. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us. Today's guest is a fashion mogul and menswear designer behind Grungy Gentleman. He's gotten to work with the Major League Baseball, National Basketball Association, and the National Football League. His athleisure lines have been worn by notable figures, and he's even been a part of New York Fashion Week for several years. We talk about how he got into fashion design, how he created Grungy Gentlemen, and what it takes to put together a runway show for Fashion Week. This is Jay Slipstein. Welcome to Popner Lounge. My guest today is Jay Slipstein. Jace, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, of course. I'm excited. What is your origin story with design? Well, Grungy Gentleman initially started off as an online publication. It was run through a blog format, but we were creating all original content. It wasn't like uh, me posting outfits of myself or anything like that. It was more along the lines of we were, well, like I said, we were creating original content, but just to give you an idea, we would interview designers. I remember one of our first three posts, I interviewed Eli Manning after he won the Super Bowl. And we asked him questions about Xenia and his style and sort of how image sort of defines who he is as a person and elevates him. So we've been doing a bunch of stuff like that. And then I also was an editor and freelance writing for plenty of different places from The Rob Report, like contributions to GQ and Esquire. I also wrote for Zendia.com, Milk Studios. I'm sure, I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch, but I definitely started more media. And we gained some traction. We started doing collaborations with emerging designers. And then that gained a little traction, which was awesome. And we then uh, were approached by Nas, uh, who's obviously a legend in hip hop. And, and we did a 33-piece collection together where we were partners. It did incredible. It was sort of one of my first true, true viral moments because it got picked up everywhere, probably because of Nas, of course. But I am proud of the clothes. We got into a bunch of retailers. And yeah, so that happened. And then I was at a, when Mercedes Benz was still running Fashion Week, uh, I went to an event and they basically approached me and said, you know, hey, I saw your stuff with Nas. Do you have any of your own designs? And me being naive at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, sure. They're on my phone. So I grabbed that on my phone. I showed, showed it to them. I'm like, yeah, you got to see this. Anyways, they scrolled through and they just were like, how, you know, we have a special venue for the night before Fashion Week begins. Would you like to be the first show for your Fashion Week? And I said, as a matter of fact, I would. <laughs> so 
from there, you know, obviously, I guess, grungy gentleman as far as a brand was born. Did you attend any fashion institute or was your experience with design more real world based? That's a great question. No, I don't have proper educational training. However, I feel like I might have got the best educational training possible through being an editor. I got to go to Florence, Milan, and Paris, I believe, eight times or uh, twice a season for four years. And on top of that, I live in New York City, which gives me a competitive advantage. So I guess through my editorial background, I learned not only what I like as far as a point of view, which was important, but I also learned a lot of the different sides of the industry from because I was interviewing retailers, I was being pitched nonstop. So I even knew how to, or what I liked, or how I like to sort of receive a pitch. I got to see a ton of different people and how they do things, whether it be a lookbook, a line sheet. So yeah, I definitely think that played a part. I think that's wonderful because a lot of the times when we go to school for a trade, we focus on that trade versus being well-rounded and say the business aspect of our of the creative industry or things beyond design. And so I think that's great that the real world can educate us on the many areas of our industry, not just one facet of it. Grungy Gentleman has collaborated with the NBA and MLB. What has it been like partnering up with two major sports entities? Oh, wow. It was an absolute honor. You know, I'm very respectful of the licensees. You know, obviously, there's a lot that goes into that. But it was, you know, a definitely a pinch me dream come true moment. I've gotten to work with actually the NFL as well. I was their stylist uh, for men's NFL apparel for three years. Uh, that was incredibly special. And then like you said, I've done licensed product for with the NBA and Major League Baseball through New Era. And even some of my own, which was a local license deal, which means I was only allowed to sell within the perimeter of the stadium. And those were obviously moments that keep you going for sure. And something that I think every designer dreams about is being being part of a fashion week, something like New York Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. So has, how has being a part of New York Fashion Week for many years impacted your career as a designer? Wow, great question. Well, it's an incredible platform. In fact, that's sort of what we use to launch a majority of our partnerships. We sort of use that as a vehicle to either do a see now, buy now moment, which is advantageous if you could pull that off, or introduce things and sort of let the audience know when that would be dropping. So it's been completely instrumental. I've had smaller shows where we've had four to 600 people. And then I've had quite larger shows where we've had 1600 people. However, though, the power of social media is very interesting with that too, because I guess within a few minutes of posting or whatever, which I feel blessed for, like more people see that than the people at the show. So the show's assets are very important to be captured properly because that's what lives on, of course. Of course, creating you know memories and sort of an atmosphere that people like is important you know when, when you're there. But I I don't get to see the shows because I'm calling it usually, so I'm always nervous until I see you know the photos and videos because that's what's most important how the clothes look on the guys. You talked a little bit about social media. How has that impacted you as a designer? Because we live in such a social media world now, mm-hmm. and things can just spread like crazy, and it can get your designs out there quickly to the public. So how has that impacted your line and your collection? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the best marketing vehicle, especially as volume, as far as volume goes with people, um, just because you can hit so many people so quickly. You also can sort of authentically show your point of view, which is awesome. 
And, you know, all, like, you know, you of course could show the full looks, but then you could also show detailed shots and you could show behind the scenes stuff. So it's really, you could tell a story on social media and it, it give you know, you could tell a story several different ways without social media. But the nice thing about social is that the platform is so powerful that, you know, you can just hit so many people so quickly. And within those people, um, you don't know who's watching. You could be, you know, basically almost speaking to buyers, to editors, fans, you know, pretty much anyone could be an athlete. You know, you never know what partnership can happen as a result of somebody seeing something that you poured your heart and soul into. This year for New York Fashion Week, you had a 28-piece collection. How long does it take to prepare something that monumental for a big runway show? Yeah, it was 28 looks. We definitely did more than 28 pieces because uh, obviously, you know, like this looks are layered and all that. This past season was a fall show, so there's even more pieces just because of layering and all that. It's There's a lot that goes into it. Um, there's so many vendors and I can run through some of them quickly. I mean, you have lighting, you have the venue itself, my publicist, Quest, and uh, like the RSVP thing, which is a whole other beast. We have obviously our clothes with our tailor. There could be scenic stuff like pipe and drape and all that kind of stuff. Uh, even our videographers need almost a little bit of different lighting than our photographers. Then we have all of our sponsors, which is important. And each one of those require a lot of individual attention backstage and how that is run, hair and makeup. Uh, I mean, I can continue going on, but you get the point. There's just a lot to juggle within that. But it is uh, very rewarding at the end if you can get through it. And uh, yeah. One of the videos that I loved on the Grungy Gentleman's Vimeo is where you're giving a speech to the Grungy Gentleman family before you guys hit the runway for the show. <laughs> and it feels very much like a coach motivating his team before, before every big game. What is that moment like for you right before your, your entire body of work hits the runway? Um, that's the point where I'm pretty nervous, but... You got to rally the troops a little bit. I'm always nervous until the second it ends, just because it's it, that's the body of work that is my life, you know. So a lot of passion, a lot of time put into it, and you know, I'm very lucky that I'm able to work with a lot of my friends. Most of the models are my friends, and I'm very appreciative of their time. Even hair, makeup, everyone I work with, even vendors, people usually I get along with. So I'm very appreciative of them. You know, when it's go time, it's go time. And sometimes, you know, you need to wake wake everyone up and let them know what time it is. New York Fashion Week is special and incredible platform like we spoke about before. And I think that respectfully, when I used to go to Florence, Milan, and Paris, uh, a lot of the shows, the models just walk up and down and the show's over, which uh, is very effective. But I like to uh, excuse me, I like our shows to have a certain type of energy that comes across. And yeah, definitely our backstage is treated like a, a, a locker room. There is no question about it. Our, our, it is a lot more fiery than pretty much every other designer, I'm sure. In fact, I've had so many athletes and musicians and stuff, and they're like, you know, I asked them at the end, you know, what were you most surprised about? And they're like, they're like, this isn't a joke. You know, it, it was heated backstage. Like it was like, you know, we were in the playoffs. So yeah, that's, that's something that has been quite funny that I've come across. You are doing a re-release of your NB2K20 line. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yes, that was an absolute honor. So 
the day our runway show happened, that day after our clothes released in NBA 2K20, which was a dream come true. Our clothes are now, they, they do it for a very short span of time. It's like a 10-day window, which actually was the, long, the longest they've ever done, uh, which was amazing. This week, I, this time, I think it's a seven-week window, seven-day, excuse me, window. And so it's, I play the game. It's so important. The game is so important to the culture. And, and from sports to lifestyle, and it's a blessing. You know, there is definitely cool moments, whether I'm playing the virtual game with a real athlete, which happens, or Ronnie 2K, who pretty much runs the franchise, and we're all wearing our clothes and dunking in it and all that stuff. So that's pretty cool. But actually, what uh, I didn't realize was the most rewarding, which happens a lot, and I get a kick every single time out of it. Um, so please, if you're hearing this, keep wearing our clothes in 2k is when random people are wearing it um a lot of times i'm just playing people and i'm like oh my god they're wearing like all of our clothes or i just see it throughout we there's a thing called the neighborhood where people sort of walk around and choose what they want to do and that's been absolutely surreal so uh, it's an unbelievable partnership i hope that that continues and uh, yeah hopefully it will how does one become a tastemaker in fashion I think if you want to become a tastemaker, you're not a tastemaker. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if I even consider myself one, but I think that it's very important to develop a point of view and not let uh, sort of outside things distract your authenticity. Uh, that's important. So yeah, I think uh, through a lot of hard work and I, I have a saying, it's called training your eye. Once your eye develops to a certain point, I think that comes across to the audience almost effortlessly. And then, like I said before, authenticity and just being real and not doing things for whether it be clout or just because something is popular and you want to hop on. I think it's important to sort of maintain who you are and maybe one day you'll become one. I'm probably still working on that too. <laughs> A lot of fashion seems to be forecasting down the road. So how do you conceptualize your creations in the present and know that they'll still work seasons down the road? Uh, great question. I categorize fashion into two categories, believable and playful. And although playful is part of the innovating driving force behind our industry, I make believable clothes. So like this jacket is a collaboration we did with Pendleton, this black and white or actually cream uh, plaid that we did with, you know, just a flat black wool, I don't really think it's going to ever really go out of style. So of course you need to know what season you're designing for. That's important. But I attempt to make timeless product. And also when somebody approaches our rack, when I experiment with color, I don't want them to be like, whoa, you know, that's way too much for me. So we do it through accents, which allows a longer lifespan for the product. I definitely see that because I know that sometimes when you're watching a runway show as a consumer, you're like, when would I ever wear that, you know, on an average day? But like with your line, I can see that being, you know, on pretty much universal. Like I can see that go transferring from the one way to the consumer for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Do you think that male designers get the recognition they deserve? Because oftentimes I think that society kind of associates fashion with women. But when I think designers, I think of people like Tom Ford, John Vervados, Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren. So do you think that male designers get the recognition that they deserve? Well, you know, I actually never paid attention to that. That's a point that probably could be discussed. But 
you know, I think there's been a, a tremendous amount of new attention on menswear, and a lot has to do with uh, athletes, actors, and musicians, and even artists just embracing menswear. Ten years ago, you know, you never saw anything be covered in menswear as far as from like an athlete standpoint. If you're a basketball fan, the only time you would see your hero or a player with kind of off the court clothes. Uh, I mean, if they're a major person, they were on Letterman and Leno maybe, but for primarily it was on NBC and within right as the broadcast begins, um, sometimes they would show Allen Iverson or Rasheed Wallace in a throwback jersey. Uh, it would last one and a half seconds and then they would show like the turnstiles and the court and then they would probably start you know, talking about the game, the announcers before like the game starts. And that was the only sort of glimpse you had to their off the, off the court style. And that's actually part of the reason why I started Grungy Gentlemen was I always believe people, of course, want to see what they're not supposed to or, or can see. And I was wondering, and it's funny because the two guys I'm going to use are overly relevant right now, but, you know, eight to 10 years ago, Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady, they were, you know, they were beyond, they still are superstars. So I, I was wondering, you know, how, you know, these are the guys that are getting endorsements, driving cool cars, obviously, you know, <laughs> do well with women and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I was wondering, you know, how, what does Tom Brady wear to the gym? What does Rob Ronkowski wear after practice? Like that kind of thing fascinated me. And since that wasn't prevalent and it was basically never shown, it just shows you now because there's account dedicated to just what people are wearing nonstop, people talk about it. Athletes do collaborations with designers, they do them with retailers. Uh, and that goes for musicians and actors too. I was just using that as an example. But so I think that menswear as a whole has developed. And when David Stern, who just unfortunately passed, but he was the commissioner of the NBA, he made a dress code rule, which originally was frowned upon, but it forced men to dress up a little bit. And what I've learned is, is when Jim Moore, who is my mentor, he was the creative director of GQ for several decades, and now he's still kicking ass, uh, and he's a stylist, and he is an editor-in-chief at large for GQ. He always told me that I just think that athletes have made the conversation with men's fashion acceptable, and that's very, very powerful and important to the industry because prior... I don't know if the conversation was as normal as, or excuse me, as commonplace as it is now. One of the ways that fashion has been in the news recently is the impact it's had on the environment. What advice would you give for fellow designers or even consumers to help the environment when it comes to fashion? Well, sustainable product, friendly type stuff is incredible, especially if you can do that. If you can execute your garment that way, you know, absolutely. I think right now with, you know, that we're in the middle of a pandemic, of course, you know, I know this is an actual physical product being made, but protecting our environment and the people right now, masks obviously have become the number one essential item for everyone in the world at the moment. So, so I think that now as designers and brands decide what type of product they want to produce, I think that, you know, protecting people and the environment is going to be of the utmost importance. So much so as even making hands-free type things, whether it be accessories or whatever, I think we're going to see that in a big way for 2021. What's an essential skill for aspiring fashion designers 
What do they need whenever they first start out? Well, when they first start off, they need work ethic. That's the first thing. I have a sign that says our office hours are open 24-7 because you know I work till I go to sleep and then you start the next day. When you want to own your own company and you're competing against, well, it's not necessarily, I don't think can look at it as competition, but let me give you an example. When you go to a retailer, right? And let's give Saks for an example. They used to carry 60, 80 brands. Now they're carrying about 30. So, you know, a lot of people think our marketing is incredible and I'm very appreciative of that. And we work with unbelievable talent. But when you're competing against the, you know, Pradas and Louis Vuitton and Gucci and all that, they have tiers of marketing. You know, they have from phone booth to billboards, uh, print, digital campaigns. So you really need to work in order to sort of break through. That's one thing. Another essential or a couple essential things is I think it's very important to understand the manufacturing process to limit your mistakes. That's a little easier said than done because that sometimes happens through experience. But there's been so many things that could arise that if you could limit your mistakes, you'll save some money and also probably save some headaches as well. And then if you're talking about a physical skill, I think obviously being fluent with uh, Illustrator and Photoshop is important because you can that's the first stage of your development process. I mean, you can draw it freehand and then scan it in and go from there. But having a digital rendering at least acts as a roadmap. And of course, you know, I staple the swatches and even from trims to fabric to the actual sheet that we printed out from our CADs. And like I said, you can slightly change your initial concept through when you're going through the process of picking out exactly what you want to do, but it acts as a roadmap. And I think that's important. If you could teach a masterclass on any subject, what subject would you teach? Probably manufacturing, because that's sort of my, I guess, bread and, br- bread and butter. Yeah, let's stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> and what advice would you give to aspiring designers or creatives out there? Hmm. Well, like I said, you really need to work hard and put your head through a wall. I mean, you're, again, if you want to, you know, if you're going to do a, be a direct-to-consumer brand, then you need to master the internet. You need to understand how customer acquisition and just sort of how consumers react and interact with whether it be your website, visually on social media with your product. So that's one thing. If you're, you know, looking to break into retail, like we discussed you know, slightly before, you really need to make sure that not only is the product sensational, because that's the most important, of course, but you also need to make sure that your marketing is on par because the retailers essentially use their real estate, meaning like let's say a rack in their store, to educate the consumer on your brand. So they want to make sure that your brand is one, stable, so they're not just wasting their time educating their audience, and two, they want to make sure that that kind of like, you know, that people are going to know about it. One thing is to, you know, make amazing product. But if let's just give an example, if you're in a Nordstrom or something like that, and your product is kind of hidden on the floor, then you really need people to be aware that it's there to sort of ask for it and find it. You don't get any bonus points or negative points for placement. So you got to make sure that the marketing is on point, the product is on point, and I like to say that the story is on point as well. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Jace, this has been an wonderful chat. I feel like I learned so much more just beyond fashion, just about sustaining a business as well. I'm going to turn the floor over to you and you're going to tell our listener where they can connect with your uh, collection, your brand, uh, Grungy Gentleman, where they can find that or where they can find you on social media. So if you want to let the people know how to connect with you, you're, the floor is yours. All right. Well, pretty much everything's Grungy Gentleman. <laughs> GrungyGentleman.com, Instagram, all the other social platforms, pretty much. I also have a personal account. It's just my name, Jace Lipstein, but Grungy Gentleman on all platforms uh, should do the trick. And .com, of course. Wonderful. Jace, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Special thanks to Jace for being on today's show. What I took away from our conversation is what he spoke about working hard towards your goals and your dreams. Anybody can have a great idea, but it takes real action and real hard work to make that idea come to fruition and to make it succeed. I believe that with hard work, with determination, with perseverance, you can achieve whatever you set out to. To find more about Jace, visit the links in the show notes. Take it away, outro me. Popner Lounge is a two-man operation, rather I should say two-women operation. It is executive produced by Steph Pham and V. Co. V. Co. serves as the show's creative director, and Steph Pham is the show's host and editor. You can find us on social media at Popner Lounge. For an easy, convenient hub of everything Popner Lounge, visit our website, popnerlounge.com. That's it for this week. Tune in next time for another conversation with a fellow creative. I'm Steph Pham.